Ryan Millsap, chairman and CEO of Atlanta-based Black Hall Studios, is one of today's top entertainment executives. With a vision for Black Hall that's ambitious, energizing, and boundless, Millsap is blazing a trail through the heart of the South and setting his sights on the future of entertainment. Listen and learn as Ryan Millsap journeys through the myriad industries, people, and landscapes that traverse the complex and dynamic world of film production. This is the Black Hall Studios Podcast with Ryan Millsap. My guest today is Atlanta-born and bred actor, Adam Fristo. Getting the acting bug at a young age in community theater, Fristo soon turned his passion for expression onto the stage. Going for the easy stuff, Fristo jumped into classical Shakespeare theater in the U.S. and in Europe. I know he has some stories to share there. Adam's career took him onto networks like HBO, AMC, Sci-Fi, CBS, The CW, The Sundance Network, and more. You've definitely seen Adam's handsome mug, my producer wrote this copy, on HBO's True Detective, AMC's The Walking Dead, AMC's Turn, Washington Spies, and MTV's Teen Wolf. He speaks six languages, plays classical guitar, plays the accordion, now that's interesting, and lists juggling as one of his skills on his Screen Actors Guild bio. Help me welcome my next guest, Adam Fristo. Hi, this is Ryan Millsap. Today on the podcast, we have Adam Fristo, who's an American actor that you may know from MTV's Teen Wolf. He has a lot of other credits to his name. Adam, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks. So we were talking about the Ozarks. <laughs> you brought that up randomly. Yeah, yeah. I, and I said, hey, I, I was born in the Ozarks. Yeah. Springfield, Missouri. And you said? I said, uh, my family's from there. A lot of my family, my namesake family. Anyway, the definitely Missourians have been there for a long time. And how did you end up in Atlanta? Uh, so I'm actually not connected very well to those families that are my namesake, which is part of the deal. You know, I've been here for a really long time. So I was actually born in Atlanta. Hmm. Yeah. My, my, the Fristo folks, my dad, my biological dad and my mom moved here because they both went to Mizzou, right? Mm -hmm. a, a bazillion years ago. And we moved here. I was born in Atlanta. And then I grew up in a very small town in South Georgia. Um, one Which of those, one? it's called Tifton. It's one of those lovely, lovely towns that still welcomes people with a gigantic Confederate flag over the interstate. Wow. So not proud of that. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, it taught, gave me a lot of perspective on, on where I was for sure. Um, and then, you know, so I grew up in that small town and then, uh, I went to college and then I like bummed around in Europe for a long time. Um, ended up moving back here to help a family member out. And then that was like in 98 and I, I haven't left since then. what did you do in Europe? Ah, uh, see, uh, I spent a little time on a fellowship in England to begin with in Manchester. I know you have a connection to Oxford, right? Mm -hmm. Some, yeah, mm -hmm. kind of formed me. I was there working in a theater in prisons program. Um, I used to be very idealistic, um, less idealistic now, but also, but I'm very activist now. <laughs> it's more action than idealism. Um, and then I fell in love with this French woman. And then that sounds fun. I just moved to France and hung out. Even better. Did some, went to circus school a little bit. Was she independently wealthy, came from aristocratic no, family? No, 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 not at all. You just no, live no. like poor French people in Paris? Oh, man. The intellectual, fueled by love? Intellectual artists fueled by love. Absolutely. Abs and wine. Fueled by, by love and wine. Yeah. And so then bummed around a lot from there and, you know, did, did my whole like theater actor thing all over the place. I think I've always dreamed about that. A lot of people have. Oh. Um, it's, it's better in the dream. <laughs> I mean... Didn't quite live up to the dream, but it was fun. It was there super moments. fun at that there were, there are, there are, there were great, great, great. Moments. What um, is one of your favorite things about the time you had a French girlfriend? Oh wow, um, that sticks out as like maybe quintessentially <laughs> French. That is nothing like any of the other girls you've dated. You're like, oh yeah, when I dated this French girl. Uh, yeah, so I spent part of a summer um, living in a tent on a beach in Sardinia where one of her friends lived. So, you know, Sardinia is an island, an uh, Italian island. Um, you know, crazy hot, I, and, and always. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know exactly why we were there, except she had a friend that was from there, who when we arrived and we're like, oh, we're gonna spend the summer, her friend basically dropped us off at the beach and said, there's your tent, see ya sometime. Um, but that, I don't know, that seemed like a ad adventure with a, you know, a European love affair. 
were you there the entire summer? Three Most, months? A large part of the part of the summer. Living yeah. in a tent. Living in a tent. Yeah. Occasionally going to parties and to concerts and like, you know, stumbling upon people's outdoor backyards and being invited in for meals. Pretty good. And Pretty is good. It, are you early twenties at this point or right oh, now? No, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, at the point yeah. of living on the beach. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like very early twenties. Yeah. I was, I guess I was already tw- yeah, 22, something like that. Yeah. It was good. I, I think that is good times. A, a, a pretty amazing early 20s story. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I wouldn't want to do it now, but it was really great to have done well, it. Well, you now. have to do most of your third world travel. This was not third world, but yes. Well, but, you know, like third world, like in the sense of like you're living yeah. on a beach, right? Yeah, 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 you know, yeah. It, 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 Adventure travel. You have to do all of your adventure travel when you're young because as you get older, you just don't have the patience for that level of non-luxury. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, I I do like more luxury, but I do still like the adventure. Do you know nice. what I mean? You know, I, lo- I love to travel all over the world. And the way I like to travel, my, my wife and I like to travel, is we travel through food. So wherever we are, and I want that to go from, you know, the cheapest of street food to like having a really sweet, sweet culinary, like high-end adventure, right? And I like to do that also with the way that I, where I live. Like I want to try... I want to have I want to have a little bit of both. I think otherwise I miss out. So, what would be a good example of a trip like that in middle age? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You may not quite be in middle age. No, nah, sure, why not? Let's say I was traveling, <laughs> and um, you know you're middle age, and you want some adventure. Yeah, but you don't want to sleep on the beach. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, for, to me, a, a recent version of that was I took my family to Costa Rica for part of the summer and rented a house in the jungle, but it wasn't not, I mean, it didn't have air conditioning, you know what I mean? It wasn't like that, but it was in its own way luxurious, right? Because it feels, it's so different than where I am now. Um, and I could go surf on the beach, but this wasn't a hotel. It wasn't even, it wasn't even a hotel. And so we're going to cook on our own and that's, that might be an example. But you weren't sleeping in a hammock. Well, sometimes because we had one, right. but I did have a bed too. We had a bed too, <laughs> but it was a bed without air conditioning. Correct. Was it? And you said it was summer or winter? Summer. Oh yeah. So it was yeah. a little hot. Yeah. yeah it's Costa Rica. Yeah. Is, Costa Rica is hot. I don't like sleeping without an air yeah, conditioning. Well, yeah. Yeah. So it, that's the kind of thing like yeah, I would want to do when I was young. I don't. I really don't want to end up in a place that's really hot in the summer and have to sleep without air. Is conditioning. Is that why you built a studio in Georgia? Oh, we have air conditioning. I have air conditioning. Okay. And actually, you know, the the studios are incredible. Yeah. At holding because of all the soundproofing. Yeah. It's layers and layers also of insulation. Yeah. And so those boxes, when you get them cooled down in the summer, it's the greatest air conditioning on the planet. Oh yeah, they can be meat. They can be overly cold. Overly. Having spent very many long days inside of them, (laughs) sometimes it can be super super cold. Well, and they do that because of the lighting. Yeah. You know, the 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 guys are producers, director. They request all that because they want to keep the equipment cool yeah so you know but they sometimes they'll chill it down to where you you can see your breath but that's usually for some particular scene for a particular reason yeah Yeah. okay so you come back from europe how do you get into acting well i kind of got into it when i was a kid my uh, my stepfather this is in south georgia right my stepfather was big into community theater right and i actually remember one of the first shows that i ever saw was there when I was very, very young, when my mom and I first moved there. And, uh, and I just sort of had this kind of sort of magic thing that happened in the back of my mind when I, when I saw this performance. It, it was out in the woods, right? It, was, it, it didn't require, it didn't involve white sheets, did it? It did not. Okay. Not, right. not, not my family's Community point theater. of view. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Perhaps the Missourians maybe, but not particularly my, my, yeah. my, my real family. Well, you'd, know, you'd mentioned the Confederate flags when I, they drive into town. Oh, yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. no, I know. Right. I know. I know to what you refer. Uh-huh. Um, so I got really involved in it then, right? And then... What kind of stuff were they making in South Georgia community theater? Well, that first show that I saw was uh, was Shakespeare's Midsummer Night's Dream. Amazing that they did in the middle of the woods. And so you, you, I remember vividly watching this. We would walk down a pathway lit with torches. Puck swang out of a uh, on a on a vine rope out of the trees. It was on this lift. It was lovely. Right? That's fantastic. It was absolutely lovely. Um, and there was enough of a contingent of people that were interested. Yeah. Well, you know, in in, in small towns anywhere, I find. They're really interesting people. True. And we don't know why people gather, right, in a, in a place like yeah, that. Why? How did they end up there? Yeah, right. But so, so in that town, there was this very professional costume designer 
who just happened to live there, but like she did designs for Disney and she did designs for all, and she was a friend of my dad's and she sort of raised me in the arts, right? Um, and then there was this really interesting artistic innovator named Sid Blackmar who created this regional model for bringing arts to small communities that was like, she testified before Congress and they studied like the programs that she put together. She also kind of raised me, right? There's an agricultural college that's there. And so there are all these really interesting international um, scientists that are, you know, they're just wildly interesting, right? And if you find people, you know, you know, I, I, I believe that this is one of your superpowers from what I have observed, is that you're incredibly curious about things, right? Not just my one single track thing, but I'm curious about what's out there, what's going on. And then can I go, oh, I didn't even know that that was cool. Absolutely. What happens now, right? Uh -huh. So it was like that. You know, and I think that really influenced me as I grew up. I think you need to change your story about Tifton. <laughs> and, and, yeah, how does it right? go? Because instead of saying, I grew up in this small town in South Georgia, where when you come driving in on the freeway, there's a Confederate flag sign. Instead, you can say, I grew up in this small town in Georgia that's very eclectic, has scientists who live, who, who have specialties from all over the world. I don't know how they ended up there. We had this woman who was a specialist in in uh, costume yeah, design who'd made all this stuff for Disney. How I ended up there with these people, this eclectic mix, I have no idea, but somehow it like informed my soul in a way that you wouldn't expect in South Georgia. I love it. That's beautiful. Thank you. What do I, what do I owe you? <laughs> and What's your consulting fee on my, my story development? Zero. But, but I mean, <laughs> Tifton deserves something more, obviously, because it informed you in ways that wasn't just like, I, I grew up in this podunk backwards uh, town that I escaped. Yeah. Instead, it actually like laid a foundation Fair enough. It absolutely did. I think the reason why I, I would also, and I'm going to take that advice. I think it's really great advice, but I'm going to, I also have to keep the Confederate flag part because that also influences the whole thing. But right? see, now you get That's the dynamism. The you get the dynamism yeah. of yeah. why these people ended up in this place that they uh, still have to drive into their own town and see a Confederate flag sign. Yes. By the way, it's not even a sign. It's gigantic that flies over the whole thing. It's an actual flag. <laughs> it's a flag. So there's a giant yeah. flagpole. Yeah, and says, welcome yard. to Tifton. It doesn't say that, but it's there. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so you get this great foundation with yeah. all these eclectic, interesting people. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. What comes next? Um, well, another kind of funny component to it in that moment in time is that I had I had gotten really into into the guitar, and so I was playing in rock and roll bands, but I was also studying classical guitar at a college not too far away in Valdosta. Um, and I was sort of on this track where I was headed into being a classical guitarist, right? I was kind of heading in that direction. And I got, um, had the great fortune of being able to go to a wonderful program in Georgia, which is the governor's honors program. And I got to go there in, in theater and then study dance as well. Um, and, and from that program, I got recruited to go to a theater school, right? And got offered this fantastic scholarship, which sort of changed my direction. Is all this happening in Tifton or did yeah. you well, the, the, the school was in Valdosta, but but it's basically Tifton. But still, right? that's pretty amazing. That yeah, isn't it? It, it's not like you you grew up in South Georgia. And in order to get training in the arts and dance, you have to come to Atlanta. Yeah, this is happening all across the state. Yeah, it was a state sponsored thing. That's an intensive program in the summer, right? Mm -hmm. And it still exists today. I hope it continues to to exist. But it does bring in kids from all over, right? They're even in places that we might describe as backward or podunk or whatever. There are opportunities a lot of the times. So I got recruited to go to college um, in theater and took that up and was grateful for it because that meant I wasn't going to have to spend the rest of my life practicing alone in a studio by myself all the time, which I probably would not have survived that well. No. Or enjoyed all that much. Um, Can only take so much pandemic in your life. Yeah, yeah. Well, probably it isn't that different for folks who that's their job, right? Mm. I know my, all my audiobook friends are like, Pandemic's fine. I just sit in a booth and read books out loud anyway, so it's not a problem at all. <laughs> now I can actually do it at home. They don't ever make me come into the studio. Who knew my personality is perfectly suited for <laughs> pandemic? <laughs> um, yeah. And then, you know, so I, 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 I traveled around the world, um, did a whole bunch of that, fell in love with a whole lot of different kind of art forms, tried a whole bunch of stuff, had those experiences, those 20s experiences. And ended up moving here for a, a short period of time because I wanted to help my little brother out who was not dealing with South Georgia that well and was kind of dropping out of high school and figuring himself out that he'd be better if he figured himself out in the city. How many siblings? Oh, that's a complicated question. Hmm. I have one half brother, two half sisters, and three stepbrothers and a stepsister. That is a complicated question. Yeah. Wow. And many of the siblings have been married multiple times and, of course, 
our family is the type that goes, well, if you ask me to love them, then I'm going to continue to love them. So we actually also consider <laughs> all of those exes. To Do be they siblings. get invited to family gatherings? Sometimes. God, that's so good. <laughs> <laughs> I love artist families. Well, that's my parents' personality. They're like, if you ask me to love them, they're going to be here, buddy. I mean, you better make sure you want to marry them because yeah. I'm marrying them too. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you walk away, I'm going to still be here. And so is she. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You're going to have to sit at Thanksgiving with everyone. <laughs> it doesn't always work out. Yeah. Uh, you know, so that is complicated. Okay, so this yeah, brother, yeah, yeah, yeah. where was he in the litany? Uh, he's my younger brother. He's the one I grew up with. Okay. Yeah. Age gap? Four years. Oh, that's not terrible. We were talking about that before the podcast. Um, Sarah's sister and I about age gaps. Mm-hmm. Sarah's the producer of the show. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you get past four years, like I have a little brother's five and a half years, they're six years apart. When you're growing up, I mean, it's almost like different lifetimes, mm-hmm. you know, because when I went to college, my little brother went to seventh grade. Right. Right. It's worlds of difference. So he spent all of junior high school, high school, college as an only child, basically. Yeah. That's a totally different existence. But four years is almost like, did, did, were you guys four years where you're three grades apart where you went to high school for a year together? No, I don't think so. Mm. No, but that's because their high school was only three grades and it was, there's was a junior high school. So it was eight and nine. And mm. so we, so yeah, we mm. missed that, I suppose. Mm-hmm. We did get into lots of trouble together though. Later or even young? No, young. I was not a good influence. <laughs> You were buying him beer. I just got away with it better than he did. But I was definitely responsible for some. <clears throat> yeah. Negative influences. Negative influences. Yeah. I think most older siblings are on some level oh, yeah. or another. So, in some ways it's our job. I mean, it's not as bad. Like I, I definitely had friends when we were like in junior high school who had brothers in, in college. Yeah. And, and I look back and I'm like, this 21 year old kid was buying alcohol for 14 year olds. Oh yeah. Like who does that? 21 year olds <laughs> nuts <laughs> okay so you go back to help your brother yeah um i booked a, a tour out of here a theater tour because i was really in the, in the theater then it's mostly what was here i mean i got an agent and but it was just commercial there was commercial stuff and industrial stuff and i don't actually do so well in those markets um but there were some really interesting theaters particularly doing some experimental work and that sort of stuff and i met a group of people i like to refer to those creatives that we meet and that we, then we become lifelong, you know, muses for each other. Right. And so I, I, I t- my tribe, right. I met my people mm-hmm. and we started a company. We just went, we just went, okay, this is Atlanta's actually a great opportunity at this moment at time. You can live like a human being for not a lot of money. There's some professional work. There's enough to like scrape together a bit of a living, but again, you don't have to make that much. You can support it totally different than LA or New York, right. Where totally I would different. just be hungry all the time. Um, and so we started a theater company called Out of Hand Theater. And uh, what year is this? This was 2001. Hmm. In fact, we had, did our first show. Our first show opened three days after 9 11. Wow. Not a good time to start anything. Anything. But that company is now, well, turning 20 years old and it's thriving. It's awesome. Um, it's here in Atlanta? Yeah, it's here in Atlanta. Yeah. Although dur- during my tenure with it, I don't, I don't work with the company anymore. My wife is the artistic director. Um, we, Still. Still, yeah, yeah. We toured, um, you know, we created original shows that toured internationally. Um, we, we invented all of this, you know, wildly different forms of performance. And it's actually what they're doing right now. Like they've, that company as a theater company has been thriving during pandemic. All online? How is that possible? Yeah, I was just wondering. Yeah, it's online. Man. If just, somebody wants to find them, where do they find them? Outofhandtheater.com. Okay. It's a pretty easy thing to find. What's in the company's made up of 10, 15, well, there's, seven? There's like, I think they just, they just hired a bunch of new staff members. So I think it's about six people. So when we started, it was an ensemble theater company. We made original performances. They were wild and crazy. We were young. We were doing what we wanted to do. Fuck everybody else. We're just going to do it, you know? That's awesome. And made some super cool stuff. But We need those not, people in the world. It's not financially, doesn't work out very well. It beat us to pieces. Hmm. But now, um, now I guess it's a couple of years ago. I've kind of lost pandemic time, track of time. They started doing this project that they called the Decatur Dinners, right? And so the the idea was is that we're going to try to use the the performance form, the art form, to be able to create massive community dialogue, right? A lot of theaters talk about that, but mm-hmm. yeah. um, and so what they did was is that they wrote an original play that was written for one performer. It could be male or female. It was a, a black Atlantan, and it's about a fifteen-minute solo piece. They signed people up 
to be 10 people in a location all over Decatur. So they had 120 dinners happening at the same night. 120 actors showed up at this, those dinners. They performed this play, which gave everybody context around the conversation they were going to be having. And then they had facilitated conversations about race equity in that community, right? Because one of the things that I, they found and looking at this kind of social justice work, right, is that often these kinds of conversations among people don't have a common experience, right? There's not a straight way to talk about it. Mm -hmm. So this gave everybody a common experience and it was a huge hit. They were aiming to do 500 at a time in Atlanta and then COVID happened. So now every single month they have a new online, they have a new play, a new facilitated discussion with trained facilitators um, around a different topic around racial equity. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing that's happened is that those are free as a community service and community building program, but every corporation in America and internationally is hiring them to then come do these programs for them. That sounds like they can eat. You got that right. It's exciting. It's interesting. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting. I'm super proud of them. Well, the timing is excellent. They're, they're on the cutting edge of what's kind of the, uh, the educational moment. And it's that convergence, you know, that we were talking about earlier. How do you end up where you are, right? You end up by looking around and paying attention to what's going on and saying yes to collaborators that mm -hmm. you meet and, you know, listening to each other, being able and willing to pivot, which we, as a company, we did intentionally. We intentionally stayed nubile, right? Mm -hmm. So that we could change directions at any given time. We didn't have a lot of overhead, you know, we could respond. Mm -hmm. And I love that. It's kind well, of anti-real estate, but I love that. Well, it's it's essential to entrepreneurship. Yeah. Right? So you need some combination of yeah. stability and being very nimble. Yeah. Yeah. Because and, and always creative and always collaborative. That's right. Well, I mean, I, I think that everybody who goes on any sort of entrepreneurial journey, whether it's a, you know, artistic entrepreneurial journey yeah. or like just a pure real estate entrepreneurial journey, whatever entrepreneurial journey is going to require you know, pivoting and uh, flexibility. Yeah. You're going to evolve over time. What, what you set out to do, you're going to run into roadblocks, failures, and you're going to, you know, shift course. And what leads to your greatest success is going to be some evolution that wasn't where you started, right? It, when, you, when you started the journey, when Steve Jobs started the journey of Apple, he didn't know he was going to end up at the iPhone, Right. right. And, but all of those innovations over decades by doing one thing, it led to the next, right? Yeah. It's playing in traffic, right? You can't, unless you're on the field, then you can't have a highlight reel. Right. Right. But if right. you're a football player, you can't say at the beginning, listen, I'm going to go out today. I'm going to make seven plays that are going to be on my highlight reel the rest of my life. <laughs> no, you just can't. Well, right? I mean, you can, but it won't work it out. It won't work out. Right. Yeah, so, but, yeah. but you just go out and play and then stuff happens that like, Makes your career. Yeah, I like to ask uh, my, my students. I, I teach um, in the film department at SCAD Atlanta. Um, Great place. I, I love SCAD. I, I love it too. It's, it's, a, it's a very exciting place to be. But I always like to ask them, like, what's your ideal future, right? And so this is, this is not what it's going to be. This is today. What is my ideal future? Well, I don't know. I mean, I would like, so I, I, you don't have to become that. And in fact, I would not advise you to have your heart set on becoming whatever your ideal future is. It's just a beacon, right? I go down the hallway, open the doors, and then some, suddenly I might go through that door, right? And be somewhere else entirely. But I find that to be an exciting way to think about the future. Well, I think that what you just described, imagining your ideal future is actually one of the secrets to true happiness. Tell me more. Well, I believe that human beings don't actually achieve happiness by getting to a place, right? Or doing a thing. Yeah. I think that the imagination, the creative imagination of a human being is so essential to their happiness mm. that they have to imagine where they're going. And then the trying to get there, as long as they're doing things that they believe could actually get them to where they want to go, that's the happiness. Yeah. The moment that they stop imagining, the moment that they stop dreaming, they lose their happiness. Yeah. Which is one of the reasons why you see so many people retire and die. Right. Like right. so many, so many stories, right. You hear about like people, they work all their lives. They retire six months later, they die, you know, just because there was an imagination of some sort that was keeping them going. Now, some people might not even, they weren't experiencing happiness. They were just in some sort of drudgery, which I don't wish on anyone. But if you're going to experience true happiness, whether it's relational happiness, 
um, educational happiness, uh, professional happiness. You have to have this big imagination about what your future might be. And then you have to chase it wholeheartedly. Yeah. And if you're doing that, whether you get there or not, the journey is joy. You know, this is related to a very small thing, I think, in my profession or in my, in my craft, uh, which is that I think actors' lives become infinitely better when they learn to love to audition. And it's a hard thing to love because almost everything about it is, is not cool. <laughs> but, one, and this was, took me a long time, right? And I was pretty unhappy in my profession for a long time because I, I just, I would sometimes get angry about the things that I was asked to do or that I had no time or the situations were inconvenient or the people who you're in the room with were mean or whatever. But once I finally learned how to change the mindset and to go, oh, someone has actually asked me today to play this role. Today I get to do what it is that I think I want to do, which is to act. Suddenly it became really fun, right? It became a game. I got to play. I get to go like, I don't have no idea if I'll ever hear about this again. And that actually changed an interesting piece of mindset to me too, where I would just forget what I'd even auditioned for. I'd get a call a week later from my agent. And they're like, hey, Adam, you're booked on whatever. I was like, I don't know what that is. I didn't audition on it. Is, is it any good? He's like, yeah, 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 you did. Okay. But again, it's that like, I think rearview mirror is important because you can find mistakes. You can find, you know, things about your life, patterns or whatever. But I also think it's, you don't need to hang on to it, right? I don't need to hang on to what could have been. Instead, I need to keep going, oh, that's cool. That informs me. Now what's in the future? Now, I think what you just described is part of the tactics of actually achieving success, hmm. right? Which might be different than the um, psychology of happiness. So, and what I mean okay. by that is, right, so what you just described is straight out of sports psychology. Right. Right? So sports psychology says it's not about outcomes. It's not about the future. It's not about your statistics. It's not about the headlines. It's not about all it's about is right here with this ball and figuring out how to be an animal and get it through that hoop yeah. or over that line or in that net, whatever it is. Right. And so, and then when you get the all ball in the net, all you do is just turn around and you do it again. And you don't think about like success, failure. You're going, you're giving everything you can to win. But then when it's over, you just go on and give everything you can to win again. Right. And, you, and you don't think about the victories. Right. That's, that's how athletes can perform. One of the reasons why you find oftentimes athletes with low levels of intelligence and high levels of skill becoming great athletes is because they're not thinking. Hmm. And you get somebody who's very intelligent, they have to work really hard to not think. Now, if you get somebody <laughs> who's very intelligent, like a Kobe Bryant who figures out how to dial themselves down and put their feet deeply into the sand of the ground. Now you get an unbelievable athlete. Yeah. Right. Cause now yeah. Yeah, he's got, he's got both. And what I hear you describing about the acting is the showing up and giving everything to the win, but not caring about the outcome. And that's actually how you win the most. Right. 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 Yeah. Well, it is, I mean, to continue your link to sports psychology, you know, when you hear, anybody to my knowledge that has gotten a world record, right? Who's broken a world record. They will say it's when they weren't thinking about it. And when they fall down, it's when they're thinking about it, when they're trying to, right? So it is an interesting thing about how, how do you prepare yourself to do that? For me in the film world, right? It's between action and cut that I have to do that over and over and over again, mm -hmm. right? So you do have to be able to go from, I actually think that actors are better when they're smarter, but you do have to then be able to just I'm going to say revert. I actually think it's a growth in some ways mm -hmm. just to the full animal mm -hmm. in those moments mm -hmm. and then step out and then do it again. <laughs> well, that's why you get some guys with their method acting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Sure. It's sure. just easier for them to just stay, you know, easier or it's, <laughs> not, uh, it's not, maybe not good on their relationships. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> they're, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but sure, but sure. So how, how do you, how do you know what level of focus that you have to have and how do you prepare yourself to achieve it? Or what are your tactics to be able to achieve it? You know, and there are a lot of different answers to that question for different people, but it is an interesting study, right? Do you feel like you can go in and out? I mean, how, how do you, when you're playing characters, how difficult is that for you or how easy is that for you? Uh, after time, you get good at it through experience, mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, I've been doing this a long time now. I'm pretty good at it, just mm -hmm. being able to walk into it. it. Even when the circumstances are really not set up for it, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think about athletes. Athletes know what time they're gonna play, 
right? You know how you get from point A to point B to be prepared to play, right? So you can put yourself in that. And we don't get that luxury as actors on camera. Sometimes we're hired the day before, hmm. often. Sometimes we're hired on the day of hmm. and you show up and play. Um, lots of times you're not actually given any information. Often we don't have the script. It's crazy, right? Yeah. And and then you come in under pressure, right? Not only the pressure of it being X number of dollars per minute that are happening that are relying upon you, mm-hmm. but you're also walking into an environment where everybody who's there has been involved with the production for months, if not years. They know everything about it. They have this idea playing through their mind and then you're there. Mm-hmm. So that kind of focus and pressure, not to mention it's three o'clock in the morning and you've been up for 10 hours in, in prosthetic makeup, right? Mm-hmm. And now you're going to perform suicide, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. That's a crazy <laughs> amount of focus that you've got to be able to come up with. Well, if you've been in prosthetic for that long, you might've already contemplated suicide. I have been there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just kill me. I'm, 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 I'm done with this. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes those are the best performances though. Cause you're at a point where you're like, I don't really give a shit. Yeah. I don't give a shit. That's the whole point, right? It's back Let's to the, back to the sports psychology. You're not thinking about it. You, yeah. you hit a home run. You're you're, tr- you're turning the corner on second base. You're like, what just happened? Where where, where am I? Yeah. How did I do that? How yeah. can I replicate that? And it's over. You, no, you're just too tired. Just, <laughs> you're too tired, yeah. and you just go, okay. I'm just gonna be here with you now. Which is, it turns out, is actually what the camera wants to see. That's what the camera wants. To, I just want to be here with you now. Yeah. That's really like the essence of so much of this conversation about the centering down. Yeah. You know. That's one of the reasons why I've had so much pleasure in my life about combining what I would think about as my portfolio in this industry Mm -hmm. of my career is that there's always been an educator, trainer component of it because I love being in the studio, right? I love being with people making that transformation. I find it to be very edifying as a human being, right? To get to study and grapple with what it means to be my full animal, mm-hmm. right? What it means to be, to be able to admit and tap into all of the wonderful possibilities that live inside of me and you and all of the horrible ones as well, mm-hmm. to really engage in those things. And then not just in an intellectual way though, but to be able to do it, let's go now. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's, let's acknowledge that in ourselves and in each other. Here's This is something I've always thought about relative to acting, which is how do you experience kind of the spirituality of acting? And what I mean by that is you have all these experiences as a human being that aren't, they aren't your experiences. They're your character's experiences, whatever character. And then you list all the characters you've ever played. And these become memories like soul memories. Yeah. Do you ever find yourself um, having a memory of something that then you realize, wait, I didn't do that. My character did that. Or like where you start to like your your soul starts to have this flux of what is my life? I mean, your life is you're an actor playing roles, but then as a soul, you're absorbing these experiences where you're falling in love and you're committing suicide and you're going insane and you're, you know, whatever it is. And so your soul can't help but like have some of that stay as like real life experience that feels like something you experience not as an actor, but as a human. I haven't had that exact experience, but there are things that are surrounding that experience that that reminds me of. Just to bring it back to my French girlfriend, she used to tell me, could you please get cast in a romantic role? Because you're much nicer to be around (laughs) when you're doing that, as opposed to when you're playing an asshole, which is what you normally do. (laughs) (laughs) This is you're bringing your work home. Yeah. I was younger then. I was a younger actor. I was, you know, doing it in a different way. I don't think that's as much the case now, but that certainly was the case then. Um, it would bleed over, you know. Uh, I think eventually, um, as you gain craft, you you're able to do the separation, and it becomes really healthy to separate. Because if I if I walk into set with you, right, and we're we don't know each other, mm-hmm. and we're gonna play this game, and we have to do horrible things to each other or we have to be in love with each other and passionate about each other. It's really important to be able to go, we're both in agreement that this isn't real. And that gives us the freedom to do it fully. And at the end, you should say, how's your wife? Say hi to the kids for me. You know what I mean? And that's how often does that conversation take place? A lot. 
Yeah, a lot. I mean, I, that's very freeing. I like that. It, that actually feels really good. It does. Even even you just listening to you say it to me, I'm like, man, that sounds fun. Let's get after it. Yeah, right. And whereas otherwise, it, you got to be careful about it. You really do have to be careful about it. It also helps us be uh, be able to go, what's okay? What's not okay? What can we do? What can't we do? And usually just by talking about that, then you have the freedom to be cruel or to be, you know, lustful or whatever it is that it calls for. Because you already exonerated each other for yeah. the accountability of yeah. whatever humanity is going to take place or not take place. Yeah. And then there's a checkout, right? There's a, you're right. You cool? You cool? You cool? Because I just said some really mean things. Yeah. 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 I'm going to say them again here on the next take. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I don't really mean them. My character does though. Yes. And they have to. Yeah. Because yeah, it's like with my acting students, you know, I, when they walk into class the first day, I'm like, you can't be nice to each other. That all has to go away now. Outside of class, we should all be nice. I'm not asking you to do this in the world. Mm -hmm. I'm asking you to do it in here. Mm -hmm. We're not going to do niceties. We're not going to do any of that because we're, we agree with each other that what we're doing in here is a scene. It's play. Cool? Yeah. Cool. All right, let's go. I dig that. That's good coaching. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm good. I can tell. Well, I mean, you, you have that <laughs> wonderful ability, which isn't true of all artists, to explain what you're doing. Uh, right? There's a lot of artists who are amazing at what they do. But oh, yeah. They, but they're not theoreticians right right they can't break it down into some sort of explanation the way you're doing which is makes sense that you are teaching too yeah best kind of professors are the ones who actually are doing i agree well that's one of the things that i really like about scad is that everybody there comes out of industry which was not my experience when i was in school you know but ever everybody there's from industry and so like we get to do these amazing cool projects you know well, USC's like that. You know, I, I was a real estate professor there for seven years, but I was an adjunct and I was one of like 12 maybe adjuncts, yeah. right? So there were five, I think it was five, but it might've been six, but let's say there were five full-time research professors in real estate. Okay. And then there's another like 12 that are adjuncts that are practitioners of, you know, various whatever, like, you know, at the time my specialty was apartment buildings and land development. And there might be a guy who's a office broker and he teaches, you know, so he's, you're bringing all these different specialties in. Right. And one of the things USC does so well is about 80% of the classes are taught by practitioners and they do this in every school. You do, if you find it in the film school, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, amazing film school, you find it in the dentistry school, you find it in the medical school, you find it in the business school, you find it in the engineering school. And really when you break it all down, USC is just like a giant trade school. It's like a high end white collar trade school. That the primary thing is not to come there. You don't go to USC to learn philosophy, although they do have a great philosophy program. But that's not what most people think of when they think about going to USC. They think about going to learn a trade, mm -hmm. whatever mm -hmm. that trade is. And they're going to get it at a really high level for the exact same reason the kids at SCAD are getting great high level um, acting training because they're getting taught by an actor. Yeah. Who's had to live through all these things, go through all these emotions, deal with all their uh, strengths, weaknesses, overcome them. And then here you are able to explain it which is a magical skill. Explanation is a magical skill. It takes work, right? It takes, it, it, I think it takes intentionality to mm -hmm. be able to, to teach whatever it is that you're working on, right? Because yeah. knowledge building doesn't just happen from seeing somebody do it or from doing an exercise. It's, it's very intentional. I want to circle back on your career. Yeah. Um, have you been able to do everything while living in Georgia or did you go live in LA for any time? Or No, I never, I mean, I've worked in LA. So around when I did... Teen Wolf, which is a while now. They're re it's being completely re-released on Hulu, by the way. So I'm very happy about. About that time was the time in my career where I was like, okay, I've got to choose. I got to go to New York or LA. I've kind of I'm I'm at where I can get here. And then the industry moved here. Mm -hmm. Teen Wolf moved to LA. And so then they brought me out there to work. And I can't tell you how mad people got when you know you're having conversation in the studio and they're like, So where do you live in LA? And I'm like, I live in Atlanta. And they're like, You can work here and you live in Atlanta. <laughs> like, yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. Um, so I was brought to LA. I didn't come here to get a job. Yeah, right. I mean <laughs> so jealous. <laughs> no. I've been waiting tables for seven years. There's a bounce. You know, a lot of my colleagues that are here that have been Georgia based now are also keeping uh, residencies like in, in LA to because there is this whole, uh, I call it bias or it's protected. You know what I mean? There, there are things that are protected. It's business, mm -hmm. right? I, I get it, why it happens. And so if you want to be up for more, a certain tier of things, then probably I would need to go there. But for me, I really value 
a certain kind of quality of life. Like I love the fact that because I've stayed here that I own my home. It's in the old fourth ward. It's one of the coolest neighborhoods in town. It's one of the coolest neighborhoods in the country. I own, you know what I mean? I, I I have property. I have all that stuff. I couldn't have that in LA. There's Mm -hmm. no way I could have that in LA and I have a community and a family. And I, I just, I value all those things. Right. So that's why for me, a decision, it's not just about like, can I conquer this industry? But then of course, my colleagues, there are lots of people from Atlanta that are landing big roles. And I really like sort of my trajectory has been that I say yes to stuff. And so even though I'm at a certain tier, like if, if I get offered in an episodic television show, if I get offered a small role, I say, yeah. And then I go in and I do, do this like performance that they're not expecting for that size role. And then in the writer's room, like uh, more episodes for this person. Yeah, that's right. You know? Smart. Which is what I, and, and if it's, yeah. does it, that doesn't happen, I'm like, on to the next. Fine, no problem. <laughs> I got no game. problem. Because my value isn't, my self worth is not based on being a series regular in X kind of show or making X number of dollars. Mm-hmm. It is being engaged in the craft, being engaged in the community, growing, um, having a good life. Well, and the more financial independence you have, like living in Atlanta has allowed you to build a, a lot more financial independence, it gives you a greater freedom to let it roll off your back. Yeah, it does. On to the next. True. That's true. You don't, when, you, when, when you don't have to have the job or have to have the whatever you deem to be the next step, because there's, there are not really clear steps for actors in this industry. There used to be. Mm-hmm. used to be you went through the theater, you went to New York, you went to blah, 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 and then you ended up in LA, and that was the, that was the pathway. And now it's like some people send in their headshot and suddenly they're a series regular, you know, and like, what's going on? Right. That's right. That's not, that's not normal. I think of like, you know, think about like, like Tom Brady and whenever he won his first championship, I don't know what all his feelings were around like those games and those moments and those whatever, but then you shift in after all these wins and all the mm. success. And at this age, there's gotta be like a sense of like, Oh, this is my time. This is what I do. Yeah. I'm going to just win baby. Yeah. Right. So. There's probably not a lot of doubt. Right, which is what I yeah. hear you saying kind of on the, on the acting side too. You're just walking in, you're like, I don't know, this is what I do. Yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah. worried about it. Like if Tom Brady loses in the Super Bowl, which he's done many times, right? He's won more than he's lost. But all the times that he lost, he probably thought he was going to win. Yeah, you, you kind of have to. You have to. And then you have to let it go. And then you on to the next. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. So you get that big role on uh, Teen Wolf. And then what things have you worked on? You, you did some Walking Dead here, right? Yeah, I did. Uh, I was in season eight of The Walking Dead. Um, I'm in the hit show of, of Pandemic Summer, which is called Sweet Magnolias, which is a very different kind of show. Um, of course, in true form for myself, I can get cast as the total asshole that they want to. That be, Hollywood loves to beat me up. They love to kill me, make me jump off of buildings. It's it's interesting because I mean, you know, I don't I don't know how you feel about me sitting across from you, but I think I come across as a pretty well adjusted, fairly nice guy. I agree, totally. That you might want to hang out with. Absolutely, but man. I can make people fucking hate me, like really hate me. <laughs> well, so you know, I, I read um, on one of the things Sarah gave me about you that you went to Sam Christensen's training. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did that years ago. Oh, yeah, yeah. Interesting, right? A long time ago, Sam Christensen was one of my clients. Yeah. And he invited me to come do one of these Sam Christian things, and it made me think of um, those essences. Yeah, for sure. So one of the essences he gave me, like if I was an actor, which I'm not, but he was giving me essences to help me understand like what society would accept, the roles I was going to play in society. One of the things that he said to me, is, or one of the essences he gave me is, I could have gone the other way, which I've been thinking about for years. Like all the essences he gave me, I've been thinking about for over all these years. But what you just said makes perfect sense, which is you're totally well-adjusted, intelligent guy, is personable, engaging, but you could totally then like turn it and be the evil, right? It's like um, uh, the talented Mr. Ripley, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? There are not a lot of guys who could pull off that role, but Matt Damon pulled it off. Right, Matt Damon can pull off that same kind of place where you believe like he's good, then he turns out evil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or he's playing somebody evil, but you kind of feel like there's a good soul in there. Yeah. Right, and so they, you've got that same essence. Well, Do you I'm, remember any of the essences? Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, absolutely. They, they still guide me a lot of times, right? Uh-huh. So here are a couple of them, right? I'm the guy that will tell you everything except that one thing. <laughs> That's a good one. And, uh, <laughs> and, could be the world's greatest philanthropist. Could be a serial killer. Tread lightly. Amazing. 
you know, or I am either the smartest guy in the room, the guy who thinks he's the smartest guy in the room, <laughs> or the guy that other people think is the smartest guy in the room. That I believe, which is really interesting, yeah. right? So one of the things that, and this was Sam's idea with helping actors by doing this sort of branding is that if I know that you see that, I don't have to play it. Correct. So that's already a huge layer that exists in there. But it also really helped me understand this idea, like I said earlier, that like I, I just don't do well in commercials. I don't really care about them, quite frankly, but it's good money. So, mm -hmm. uh, and I, I stopped doing, I stopped even auditioning for them because I, I realized and I understood that I would get to a certain level because I look decent and, you know, I'm a good actor, right? But they would never cast me because Too they, layered. They, they didn't know, yeah. but there's something scary about me uh-huh that's right <laughs> and, you're, you're too and that's nuanced. not good for brand no <laughs> clarity you want clarity of yes. brand and that's not what i do that's and it's right. not what i am and i can't help it I, I mean i've tried to fix that with like tens of thousands of dollars of therapy um <laughs> but like that part that ain't going anywhere is it you, you can't get rid of that essence of like what people perceive which is just the layers of complication of your own soul that is right well, that's a gift. That's it, the, it, that's the, those are the roles you get to play. It is indeed somebody who is more flat in their perceived soul. Because again, this may or may not have anything to do with the actuality of who you are. It's all Sam's method for those of you that are listening that have no idea what Sam Christensen is or what his method was. Sam would take you through this four day um, exploration, and at the end of four days of exploration, he would then give you seven essences yeah. that he imagined through watching this four days that represented who you represent to other people. And for you to know that, not again, not to say this is who you are, but to say these are the roles that you can naturally play in society or as an actor that people are going to buy. So if you want to be a superhero, but really you're a villain, you're going to have a bad, it's not going to go well for you getting those roles. But if you embrace the fact that you could play maybe a superhero villain, if you like, you could play Deadpool all day long. Man, I, that would be so much fun. You're natural. So uh, whenever that role opens up, yeah, um, you know where to find me. It sounds like we need to write that role. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just a new version, the, the, the Georgia version. Anyway, the, uh, the, the, the Sam Christensen process is that informed you know, process of knowing what you're, at least the essences that Sam gave you, which he was the casting director for MASH. He was yeah. a very famous, well-known casting yeah. director. He had incredible intuition. Yeah. Fascinating and man. Fascinating. Really, really wonderfully fascinating. I haven't seen him for years. And actually there was somebody else on the podcast months ago who was an actor who'd gone through that. And I was so shocked that, you know, that we had that in common. And um, they were the ones who told me that, that Sam had passed on. Yeah. 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 There's actually, uh, he passed on his work to some people here. That's what so, I remember hearing. Yeah. Which is curious. Have you to connected well. to those guys? Or? Well, I know them because I knew them from before. Okay. Um, but I haven't really connected with them in this process. I, are they doing it just for actors? Are they still doing some of the stuff that he did where he was doing some of the work for professionals? I don't know. I, I bet only for actors, but I don't know. Right. I want to know like how many times he had somebody come in who was a, an accountant yeah. and the accountant, he was like, um, you're going to hate to hear this, but you come across very untrustworthy. That's hard, right? It's hard. It is. And, you, it is. and you're an accountant. You're like, man, my life is going to be uphill battle here. <laughs> right? Yeah. Maybe I should shift to be an attorney. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're running out of time. But here, help me when we're talking about imagination, creativity. Okay. What is your hope as you imagine kind of Georgia and the Georgia film scene? I mean, we've, it's so much has been accomplished. There's so much more to come. What are some of the things that you imagine and hope for, for Georgia film, Georgia actors, like the next big leg of our growth? Uh, I think the next big growth is for the content to be written here, to be developed and written here. 100%. Because we're making it mm -hmm. here. We're the production and we're the plant, you know, uh, but for the writer's rooms to move here. I mean, I really want the writer's rooms to move here. Well, that requires just one thing. A room. Capital. Ah. Right? Because capital attracts talent. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that stage will affect people in my stage, right? Because with the writer's rooms moving here, then the main casting directors move here. And that's, it's, that's part of why, I mean, folks who come in who are casting, you know, I'm talking about directors and producers and stuff. 
I think a lot of times I hear them say, ah, but the Georgia actors, they aren't all that good. And I don't think that that's true. I think we have incredible talent here. And I know if there are any casting directors that are listening to this right now, they're shaking their heads and they're like, you don't see all the auditions that I see. And I'm sure that they're right. But I think that that has to do with an ecosystem, right? That I think that talent agents shouldn't be sending people in that aren't any good. They shouldn't be doing that. And that people who aren't any good should be vetted and they shouldn't be sent forward. And it's because otherwise I think that gives us a bad name, right? But I think that when we can move the creation here and when we can move the the principal casting here, we'll see that that's a different story. Right? Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's the selfish reason for wanting to move that stuff here. No, no, I, I agree. So my role in that ecosystem is to gather the capital yeah. and create the infrastructure to then allow the creatives to go run free. Yeah. What does that take? What sort of infrastructure allows that section? Because that just seems like a choice. I mean, a writer's room doesn't sound like capital to me, but, but I don't know. It sounds like a, a room. Well, it, it is, but if it doesn't have an outlet and it doesn't have the rest of the ecosystem, then what is the writer's room going to produce for, right? right. So what you need is you need um, someone, like, you know, the, this is a role that I believe I'll play. Someone is going to gather a bunch of money and the money is going to be Georgian money. Mm. And that Georgian money is then going to be allocated into ecosystem with development. So we'll, we'll have our own writer's rooms. We're developing our own content. Right. Then, but we're developing content that we already have the money to fund. Right. That we already have the facilities to, to use. That we have our own distribution ideas, right? Our own distribution channels. So that then you're not dependent on an outside world greenlighting things. So now you're developing content that you're choosing to greenlight with money that is in the state. And when you have successes, that money multiplies and it stays in the state. And then now you have an ecosystem, right? Just like in LA, you have a hundred years of multiplication Mm. of capital. When they first started out, like somebody had to come up with the money, but you know, there's a handful of guys started making content. Most of them were kind of like Tyler Perry. They were, had no capital. They just started making stuff. But if they have one thing that works, suddenly they have a pile of money. Now they can build out more writers' rooms, and they can build out more stages, and they can build out. They can get better equipment, and they can start then cranking out more content. Right. And that's the same kind of thing that's going to happen here. And the and the missing piece to that, which is everything that's led to this point, now allows someone who, you know, I'm not a producer, I'm not a director, I'm just a business guy, but I can look at the gap and say there is a gap that needs to be filled in content type, to content quality, cultural distinction. Yeah. And I can then attract the talent to then fill out that team. And I can function really like as a team owner, the team yeah, owner is yeah. not throwing touchdowns. The team owner just needs to know how to choose a GM, choose a great head coach, draft. Well, have make a good, sure, mil- make sure the money's there and it make works. Make sure the money's there and it works, you know, and, and then you develop an organization that is an organization of winning. Love that. Right. So Bring that it. I believe is kind of the next, what the next five years is going to bring. Cool. Sounds it's like something fun to be part of. I think it's going to be exciting. <laughs> yeah. 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 Anyway, Adam, we're out of time, but thanks for coming to Black Hall. This has been amazing to have you and really appreciate someone with the success that you've had being able to join us here on the podcast. Oh, man, my pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Black Hall Studios podcast with Ryan Millsap. We want to hear from you. Find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Spotify, and follow us on Instagram at Black Hall Studios and at Ryan.Millsap.